Wait, was I supposed to do something? Yep. Just like every time. It's not every time. No, it's every time. I edit the show, and every time I get to the bloopers, I have to find where the time is. Like, so I hit record? No, do I hit stop recording? I, every time. Uh, okay, every fine. Time. There's there's little jokes around the start of the show, but it's uh, it's more like um, it's it, I changed up. You have to keep it fresh. It's the same joke every time. I mean, no, no, no. It's you slightly might different enough to avoid copyright infringement. Okay, it's, like uh, it's the same bowl of fruit, but I'm painting it from a different angle. Sure. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. You don't buy that. No. Yeah. Uh, it. It all looks like uh, bananas to me. <laughs> that is inappropriate, Adam. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how is your corn going? Corn continues. Um, uh, oh, so actually today we had some more of our herbs sprouting. So for for me that was a, a small victory. <laughs> Well, wow, okay. Some... I'm just gonna go ahead and cut yeah. to the punch. We've got guests on the show because I really don't want to hear about him talk about his <laughs> herbs. My herb collection. My Santa Cruz herb collection. Or as Rodney might say, herbs. Uh so actually I don't know, Rodney. Do you say herbs or herbs? That's really how we're starting. <laughs> I don't know. For our schedule. You know, I'm just trying to help you say things correctly, you know, the proper way savings yeah so that was rodney uh so we've got rodney and toby on and these are a couple of my friends uh going back well actually a long long time now uh and we are bringing them on today because uh they're both black they're both dads and given the current (laughs) climate in this country uh we thought it would be good to bring somebody on with a perspective that is outside of two 30-year-old white dudes. Uh, okay, fine. 30s white dudes uh, who uh, are raising kids. So, uh, Rodney, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself there to uh, the audience? Oh, you actually, everybody should know, Rodney is the former number one enemy of the pod. So that is, that is Rodney here. So you can go ahead, Rodney. <laughs> so uh, my name is uh, Rodney Masai Rodney. Um Some people know me as Simba. Some people know me as Rodney. It's totally fine which one of you want to call me. That's totally, I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, I am still number one enemy of the pod. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a title that I proudly uh, wear. Um, I have the t-shirt, uh, not wearing it today. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm originally from, uh, from Harare, Zimbabwe. Um, I've been in the United States since the 18th of August, 2000. And um, yeah, I've got two kids, um, uh, one who's five. Uh, oh, almost five. Um, uh, and the other one who is just turned three years old. And <laughs> See, after you have, you know, one kid and then you get to the second kid, everything's just, yeah, that's <laughs> that's what happens. After, after <laughs> one kid was easy, two kids is, is immensely difficult. Alright, <laughs> All right, and the other guest that we have on here is Toby. Uh, Toby, why don't you go ahead uh Tell the folks about yourself. Absolutely. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name, I don't have all the like synonyms like Rodney does. So my name is Tobrian Clark, and I guess I'll copy Rodney. Some people call me Toby. Some people call me Tobrian. My mom calls me that. Um, I'm from the south side of Chicago, um, born and raised. I am in the 40-ish category. I'm actually going <laughs> to be in my mid-40s here coming up. Um, I hope to be the number one friend of the pod. 
So Rodney, can, I can be the antagonist to Rodney, Ooh. the yin and the yang a little bit. So um, I have a nine-year-old, freshly nine-year-old turned daughter and a six-year-old son. All right. And how are both of your quarantines going? <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I don't have quite the herb collection. Um, but, uh, they're pretty, uh, pretty eventful. You know, there's nothing like I recently, uh, relocated back home to Chicago area after living in DC, the DC area for the last two years. So I can tell you, there's nothing quite like, um, living in DC where I work was about seven blocks from the white house. So, um, needless to say, that is a very interesting perspective and in coming back and moving, not like buying a house during a quarantine FYI. We had to shop for it online with our realtor. And then um, we did that come with Prime or? No, no, it didn't. We actually oh. drove here, did our final walkthrough on a Thursday, and signed for our house on a Friday. Talk about trusting a realtor. So that's been my quarantine. Ooh. Real fun, you know? <laughs> wow. Hey. Wow. Nope. And, yeah, gee. Ooh, and uh, your, your kids are homeschooled normally, right? Right, Toby? Yeah, they were homeschooled before the quarantine. So it's. My wife decided it would be fun to actually add a couple of her best friends kids to the mix. So, you know, all sorts of fun here a few days a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Is man. Is she going to be listening? <laughs> uh, she will be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to follow up episode after this. <laughs> a check in, you know. Uh, I might need a reunion episode. Uh, how are things been going with you and your kids in the quarantine? Um, it's been a uh, it's been quite a ride. Um, so my wife is the uh, um, uh, the lead social worker for the Chicago region for her company, um, uh, and she has been uh, going in as much as possible, working fourteen hour days um, since this has all started. She's had six days off um, in three months, uh, so it's been myself, the boys, trying to get work done. Um, and, uh, you know, all the way through. So I'm not growing any herbs or any of that. Um, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> you're not doing much of anything other than working and taking care of kids. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 But you know, we've had, we've had like a lot of support, um, uh, her parents, uh, who live in Evanston as well. Um, they, they come over and help out like in the, in the mornings and stuff like that. Like, you know, um, so it's, it's been, it's been, it's been, I've been grateful to have the help because I'm actually busier now than. I was before, um, <laughs> and so uh, yeah, yeah. It's been it's been it's been it's been a wild ride. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I did not know that uh, about that <laughs> for you. That is, uh, oof. That I don't even know. Like, so Margo and I are like tag teaming, right? <laughs> or like, I'll work nights and weekends or something sometimes like that. But it's basically like, okay, I got a meeting these hours and so I'll, I'll go sit here you got a meeting at these hours that's fine uh not like oh you'll be out of the house for 14 hours cool <laughs> i guess i i have a meeting during that time too but i'll you know what i'll figure it out it's good it's good it's fine it's fine um now to hit on a little pain point of my own would you refer to what you're doing as babysitting oh boy Dang right, no, no. You, you, you you're wait, too slow. It's no. Are you asking him if he babysits his own kids? No, 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 no. I'm asking if he wait. views it as babysitting because this is my own personal like pet peeve of 
conversational English, uh, well, saying that you're babysitting uh, your kids, like you're house sitting your house. Yeah, that's okay. That's that's what I was getting at. Yeah, it's like saying like you don't want to say like I made the mistake early on in parenting, whereas like I'm going to go clock into my other job. That's a very bad decision. Too. <laughs> 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 I know your audience with that one. <laughs> yeah, you're not even making minimum sure wage. <laughs> the other job where you pay to go to work. Right. Yeah. That's why I call my kids my roommates. And that's why mm. I call them that since they're they're little, you know. <laughs> roommates. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. And you still well, that also. <laughs> <laughs> now, I still now, have a wife and kids somehow <laughs> magically. I don't know. Are they the worst roommates you've ever had? Is the real question. I mean, I have to compare them to like my roommates in college. I was an RA in college for two years. So, you know, I had all sorts of interesting roommates. You know, the difference between these, they don't, they don't pay rent, you know. <laughs> so, you know, they do their part. They live free. Yeah, but they're cool. I'll keep them. <laughs> good <laughs> you keep that lease going yeah i'll keep it <laughs> i i think that the kids are not my worst roommate <laughs> you're probably right i i can get my kids to clean up after themselves my freshman year roommate that was oh my gosh a disaster like an entire you could there's just a dividing line down the middle of the room where there's just like nowhere to walk just clothes and garbage and food and everything and like my side of the room which i'm not a very clean person i mean those of you on the skype call with me can see the like (laughs) mess behind me at the moment uh which i'm still going to blame on the fact that we moved two months ago but yeah uh two months though uh well no one's coming over (laughs) uh but yeah that was very messy and Comparatively, I I can get Mira to clean up occasionally. I mean, he didn't he didn't wear diapers and ask me to change him. So I mean, there's that that you know <laughs> that I remember <laughs> that you remember. Yeah, that I remember. <laughs> I mean, he spent most of his time he actually much like a newborn. He spent almost all of his time sleeping in bed, uh, and that was, was when I was happiest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Remind me to tell you about my uh, roommate who um, uh, was selling mushroom spores on the internet that we found out about. Um, and the other roommate worked for the FDA, well, um, a company that like was cartoned out by the FDA. And we had to explain to him that this is probably not a good idea. And he had to move out or stop. Um, so he moved out. <laughs> wow. Nice. <laughs> wow. Craigslist. <laughs> Craigslist roommates. I, oh no. <laughs> oh man. Look, that so uh Aaron, who both Toby and Rodney uh worked with as well, when he moved out to California, he moved in with uh some guys who uh wrote their Craigslist ad as like a poem and uh like it was it was it was crazy and it it was just this the most unusual thing and then on top of all of that at the end it, it like he had this one bum roommate who never got up never left this room never did anything and one day he started show, walking out in his suit at like eight in the morning and like leaving and coming back at the end of the day and he was like what is going on turns out the guy was on trial <laughs> so uh 
He was on trial for uh, breaking his probation. Um, and so he was going to, to the court, uh, going to the courthouse. Uh, and that's why he was wearing a suit. So what was the yeah. poem about? I can't remember. Put, put, putting on what? a suit, flocking yeah. in. <laughs> this is the, also the guy that took Aaron's bass guitar, picked it up, and just like jammed it into a ceiling fan for some reason. Not out of anger, not out of any, just like accidentally? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That one was... I mean, it's very Aaron, though. Like... He also that moved is- into a mansion in the hills with like five people he didn't know because the place was being rented out by the room and there was an RV parked out front that somebody was paying to rent the driveway and like the place was falling apart and when he decided he finally decided to move out of there when all of the like when the doors came off the hinges in the middle of winter and it got too cold That's and his girlfriend like before that. moving in with her told him that he had to move if he wanted to live in a van now was the time because it wasn't happening after they moved in together. <laughs> And Aaron seriously considered it. I had a, a, a recent person that I worked with that uh, lived in a lives in a van. At, like actually, mm-hmm. my choice. And and he asked when we started working together if he could park it. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know what he meant. I was like, <laughs> "You mean like a real van?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think of the ease of commute. Uh, that is, yeah. The, and and the, the 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 nice guy moved from Seattle in the van. Like you can't make this stuff up. That... I'm I'm not gonna lie. Um, one of my things when I retire is either going to be retiring in a van that I use to travel all over the place, or a boat. So I will be an old dude living in a van. Hey, that's okay though. You have actually a plan. Like, yeah, I, don't, is... I don't know if this, I don't know. If this... <laughs> That's the distinguishing factor. That's uh, the differentiating. Yeah. 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 So I might, I, I plan to use Phil's, uh, RV stall to, to hang out in as much as I can when I'm, when I'm, I old. do, I do have yeah, when, I'm, when I'm old. Uh, I worked with somebody who literally, uh, they pre when they had worked in Louisville, Kentucky, um, when just sort of going over their work history, like, well, my car broke down in Louisville. So, Yep, that was it. <laughs> like they started driving and it broke down in Louisville, and so that's where they got a job. I mean, that's the equivalent of you know hanging the the map on the wall and just throwing a dart to see where you're going to travel to next, right? I mean, like sometimes you know when you're given the sign, I guess that's just all you needed. But you got to have like three darts just in case. So you like throw it, and it's like, ooh, ah, uh, never mind. Okay, we just one more time there. Just throw it, throw it again, so that you don't end up in like the far North pole or whatever. <laughs> okay. Let's just say statistically, you'd probably hit water, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yes. Yeah. <laughs> also, you don't want to end up in the middle of the ocean. I cannot wait for the spinoff podcast. Casual roommates. <laughs> oh, Casual roommates. Yeah. Oh, I, I only did the Craigslist roommate thing once. And the weirdest thing I could say was that, um, it was a couple. And then when we moved in, he left to go to Japan for who knows how long. And the, his, his girlfriend slash fiance slash, I don't know. She had people over every night and we, we had to wonder, we're like, wait, the couple did? No, no, it was <laughs> just wait, the did. woman in the couple did. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> wait, that's still weird. But now it makes a little, it's a little less swingers and a little bit more like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little less swingers, a little more, oh. Um, but then he came back like a month later and we're like, you know, uh, I think it's time for us to go. <laughs> so we left. <laughs> wait, you were, it, this is you and it. Alex? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, I haven't had that many roommates because, uh, no. Um, oh, since enough. I started my family show so early. <laughs> <laughs> my roommates have always yeah, been you got my, in before prime time really uh in the f- starting a family business more of right. a daytime television era um <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway <laughs> so we, we did not bring them on to talk about herbs and rv parking and accidentally ending up in the middle of the ocean by throwing a dart there or Louisville, Kentucky when your car breaks down. Uh, we brought Rodney and, uh, and Toby on to talk about sort of their experiences. And so I was wondering, Toby, if actually to start out. So when we were working together, I remember you telling what I thought was kind of a, like a really intense, wild story about getting pulled over in Wisconsin. Oh Lord. <laughs> I was wondering one, if you would tell that story because it was, I we were at Champs and I was just sitting there like just mouth just like what the hell is happening and then I was wondering if you tell that story and then I had a couple of follow on questions after that if you didn't mind yeah I mean absolutely it's amazing that you remember that story I mean obviously I do it really <laughs> sticks with you <laughs> yeah that's amazing um, no so back in the day um, I went to college in Minnesota. And uh, that's actually where I met my wife, but this is way before my wife. And um, one winter break, my dad um, was, he came up to visit and he was going to help me take some of my, some things back home for winter break. As you all know, in college, winter breaks a few weeks. And so um, I think I was, at that point, I was a freshman. So it was like my first real break coming home outside of like the small fall break. And um, I'll never forget, it was a Sunday night. And, um, I had my Chevy Cavalier that I was really proud of my 1982 Chevy Cavalier. And, um, we were driving back home to Illinois and, uh, we had gotten probably a few hours into Wisconsin. And the joke was, and I don't know how many people who are listening to the podcast have ever driven through Wisconsin from Illinois. Um, there's this thing, if you have Illinois plates driving through Wisconsin to just look out like you're probably going to be a target. Um, and it's funny because the closer you get to Minneapolis, if you have Minnesota plates, I learned after living in Minnesota for a while, Packer fans come get you. That's a whole nother story, but, um, <laughs> we're driving. Um, so we're driving back and, uh, my dad was driving cause I was tired and we were probably going about 67 miles per hour something like that and if you know anything about the interstate over there speed limit 65 miles per hour and um we see sirens behind us we see lights so we get pulled over and i thought it was kind of weird and this uh i can still see to this day this kind of smoky the bandit looking state patrolman <laughs> comes up and if you if you could imagine like you know it's december so there's frost on the glass you know so this ominous figure on a sunday night um comes up and he's like do you know how fast you're going and my dad you know he's a teacher he's a pastor nice super nice guy he's like yeah i think i was going i don't know 
you know, he actually exa- exaggerated. He was like, I think it was going like 70 miles an hour. And the cop was like, actually, you were going 67. And my dad's <laughs> like, oh. And so, so I'm thinking to myself, well, obviously, this isn't going to turn into anything because it's two miles an hour with the speed limit. And this cop uh, kind of hitched up his belt buckle and he said, well, in the state of Wisconsin, that is speeding. <laughs> and now keep in mind, I'm like 18, so I don't know what's going to happen. And so he tells my dad, he says, stay right here. And he takes my dad's license and goes back to his car. Now, if you can just picture, again, winter, Sunday night, it's dark, um, and there's just his lights behind us. And so as we're sitting there, I'm just kind of talking to my dad. You hear the cop over like a loudspeaker or whatever on his car, and he goes, um, pull ahead. And I thought it was kind of weird because he has my dad's driver's license and we need that back to get home. So my dad just pulls off the shoulder and he's like, this is weird. And I'm like, yeah, this is really weird. So we're going like 60 miles per hour down the interstate and um, the cop is like right behind us. And so I just had this feeling in my stomach. I was like, this doesn't, something's wrong. So I tell my dad, I'm like, well, maybe he's trying to get past us. Maybe it's because winter, he's trying to direct us somewhere or out of state, whatever. We're trying to think of all of the positive intentions you can think of. And so my dad pulls over to the left lane. And at this point, we're probably going about 50 miles an hour. And this cop switches lanes and he's right behind us with his lights off. So I'm like, okay, now something's really up. Next thing we know, about three more state troopers come flying down the interstate and one goes whizzing past our car and goes right in front of our car and slams on the brakes. And my dad hits the brakes. All of a sudden, we're on the side of the road, and this is not an exaggeration. This cop comes out of the car and he goes, think you're going for a joyride? Reaches into the driver's seat of the car, grabs my dad by the scruff of the deck, throws him on the hood of the car. I am shocked, right? I'm like, what is happening? So as I'm sitting there, the other another cop comes on to the pastor side and he taps on the window and I roll down the window and he's like, um, what are you doing? Like, who is this? I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I'm shocked. And I'm like, um, what is happening? And they, the next thing I know, my dad is in the cop car, whisked away, gone. So I'm in the middle of Wisconsin as an 18 year old being like, what just happened? And this cop, I hear him over his CB. He's like, calling in whatever code, you know, cop code, whatever it is. And he's like, oh, yeah, and we need to, uh, we've got a, you know, juvenile or a teenager, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, we need to, um, we need to get the tar- the car towed. And I looked at the cop and I'm like, why are you going the car? I'm like, my car, tabs are good. Here's my license. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, right. Your car. Sure. And they proceed to tow my car. So at this point, he asked me to stand in front of the car and he starts to frisk me. And um, I had on, you know, you think about the early 90s, I had like the best carpenter jeans a college student can buy on at the time. And I had a pager in my carpenter pocket. And he frisked me and he looks at me and he goes, why do you have a pager? And I literally looked at I'm surprised I didn't get put to jail for that. I looked him in the eye and I'm like, so my mother can reach me in situations just like this. <laughs> and this Cop was like, yeah, so long story short, um, they towed my car. I ended up being in a in the middle of Wisconsin in a in a police station. I walked in, my dad was 
I saw him behind like the plexiglass with his hair all over the place. And he kind of looked at me like, here we go. Here we go. You know, they put us in rooms where we had to corroborate the same story, which we both said the cop told us to pull off the side of the road. Didn't know what happened. Um, and the way that it ended, <laughs> I ended up spending the night in the lobby of this police station, uh, while they kept my dad in jail because the, um, the actual jail couldn't accept wires until sunrise at a truck station. So we had to wait for my mom <laughs> to wire money to bail him out while I sat there. Um, a dude got arrested and this guy comes into the middle of this jail cell. I'm already traumatized enough. He was in an orange jumpsuit and he was screaming all these expletives. And then next I know this, this kid from Wisconsin comes in and sits next to me. I'm like, great, I'm going to die tonight. Like, what's going on? And I look at him and I'm like, why are you here? He goes, that's my brother. I'm turning him in for looting my church. And I was like, great. Um, and then he looks at me square in the eye. He's like, you're not from around here. I'm like, no, he goes, you need to call someone. And I was like, yeah, I need to call my mom. He goes, come on over to my house. And I'm like, I sized him up and I was like, I guess if it goes down, I can take this guy. So he literally <laughs> took me to a, an apartment above a country bar in the middle of Wisconsin where he had a pet snake in his living room. No exaggeration. Um, Wait, like, my mother, out? like Like in a cage. He goes, oh, okay. don't mind. Like he opens the door and he's like, don't mind my pet. And I'm thinking it's a cat or a dog. He's like, it's my snake. I'm like, <laughs> great. So I call my mom. Long story short, they end up uh, wiring the money. They ended up charging me double for the towing because they actually towed the car back to the police station. And the guy was like, uh, whose car is this? And all of a sudden, magically, the cop was like, it's his. And so the guy's like, oh, yeah, we got to lock this up until we get you out. So it'll be double the towing. So we got double the towing. They charged my dad with failure to stop for an emergency vehicle and fleeing an arrest. Um, we had to end up going back to court. Uh, several months later and it got thrown out of court and ironically enough that city of Wisconsin um, outside of Black River Falls Wisconsin I'll never forget it they actually several years ago got um, indicted for a sting where they were actually profiling that police department was profiling and making money off of the fines and stuff they were doing in the city but yeah that was the uh, <laughs> that's the version that's what happened that's my story so it was definitely crazy and it, and to put you some perspective too, my dad is very light skinned. He's black from the south side of Chicago, but that part of my side of my family is part French as well. And so it's just all sorts of craziness. So, uh, okay, yeah, that's pretty much what I remember the story being. <laughs> I also remember you smiling and laughing about it at the time as well. And I'm also happy to note that since now I'm actually able to look at the other two people who are listening to the story, and I'm basing it on Rodney's facial expression he neither never heard it or didn't remember it and um yeah so <laughs> I, I like one of my questions like is it is it really funny like it's scared it scares me yeah no you know you know what I, I think that one of the things that i've learned growing up like and it's kind of a sad commentary i think it's actually something that um i don't speak for all black people but i think when you have so many similar things that you either see or experience in your life. Some of it is you kind of actually just look to the only way you can kind of get around it is, is to kind of try to laugh around it. Not that you're laughing at the situation by any stretch of the imagination, but even if you think about a lot of satirical uh, comedy, like you think about like Richard Pryor, um, like his comedy coming up and things like that. A lot of the things he's talking about, like Richard Pryor made a living off of one of his standups talking about how he set himself on fire on cocaine. 
right? <laughs> like, that's not really funny, you know, or the struggle of, of profiling and some of the things that happen, you know. Um, and in hindsight, I think for me as a kid, like if you'd asked me that as an 18 year old, yeah, I was completely traumatized. I think what happens to me now is when I think about that story, it's just the sheer absurdity of that actually taking place, period. Right. It's something that you don't think could actually, it's like not real life. It's like, did that really, did that really happen? I, even if I, in thinking about the story, that's kind of where my brain goes. Like that really did happen. And then you think about today, right? and where it gets really serious and intense for me especially as a parent and i know we're going to get there but like what if that happened today you know i wonder you know that my that cop was only you know a few seconds from you know he grabbed my dad by the back of the neck what else would he have potentially done right there in front of me you know or what would he have done if it would have been if i wouldn't have been there you know and so that's the piece yeah funny it's probably not but i think like for me um, sometimes the only way you can kind of get around that and be like, yeah, that really was traumatic is it probably not the right answer to kind of laugh at it. But I think sometimes that's what, that's what happens, you know? I mean, I feel it's like you, you, it seems like it's one of those things where it's like, you have to laugh else. What, like, what, like, yeah. And you have yeah. to have like, you have to, and also like going to this apartment above a bar in Wisconsin with a yeah. pet snake there, just like, randomly just like you gotta like you have to pull in all these things that are like you have to like when something like that happens i imagine you just have to you have to at least focus on some of like it is so like that story in particular the thing that struck me the first time i heard it and the reason it stuck with me all these years is because it's like the most almost um like cartoonish level of Mm -hmm. like it's not subtle (laughs) <laughs> no it's not and that's well, like a cartoon character with that like the hat the smoking the bandit hat like he said hitching up the britches too right like the, <laughs> the whole demeanor is and that's somebody's dad and grandpa too you know what i mean that things like that so uh to be honest like when i hear that story it's like 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 i don't know what it's what it says but it's like the part that stands out is like what were you doing is when you say that you went to this guy's house, like to make the phone call. Cause I'm sitting there thinking that <laughs> that's I, the part I know. And that's the thing is like, as you know, as, as we'll talk about, like, you know, as experiences come through and stuff like that, there's like something where you like, you know, I can, you know, it's, I can see that happening. And then you come to this part and you're like, yeah, well, why would you go to that guy's house? And that's like where we'll come to, because like, there's some things where you're just like, I've seen stuff like that happen. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility of that happening, and that's how you see it. And that's and and and, and I know it sounds insane, but that's the part where I'm like, that's where I'm questioning is, Toby, why did you go to that guy's house? But yeah. that's yeah. Well, uh, here's a question: If the guy had come in, he's like, "That's my brother," and I'm turning him for looting my bar or whatever, or looting my grocery store. Is that different than him being like I, he was stealing nah. from the church? Like, is that? Nah. I mean, like the thing that I left out of the story, and it's totally irrelevant. Like, so you got a picture like this jail, like this police precinct. It looked if you've seen Terminator Two, like that's the kind of like setup that it looked like this precinct. So, like, literally, this guy's on the other side of the glass, and I don't think it mattered what he said. Honestly, I was at a point of you have to think of the time. So, given it was the '90s, right? Um, 
didn't have a cell phone yet, like didn't have one, you know? And so I only had two alternatives. Like the cops were not giving me my, I wasn't arrested, but they weren't giving me a phone call. My dad got a phone call, you know, and talked to my mom, but there's no way that I could get wire instructions and things like that. I think it's more so out of sheer desperation where I was like, well, this guy's offering me up to either I'm going to, either he's going to like make me one of his trophies tonight um or i'm gonna <laughs> ma- be able to make a phone call you know yeah like, it just wasn't and you have to also think too it was it was probably eleven thirty at night it was like midnight when that happened i had been at the police station for he pulled us over at like seven thirty, you know so i'd been there for hours at that point just sitting there and all i had was like what am i gonna do you know so yeah, there really wasn't like an option. It was like, this guy's offering it up. I'll take it. Um, and we'll go from there. Cause I didn't even know if we were going to get, I don't even know if we were going to get home. Like, you know, at that point, I didn't know what was going to happen. So. Jeez. <laughs> has your, has, have all the, has, has your view of that story changed at all with everything that's happened in the past two decades or like, it mm. seems like maybe it's actually gotten with distance you're able to focus more on the like comedic aspects of it, but it seems like in the, in the moment it was not, <laughs> it couldn't possibly have been funny. No, no, I think like it's more so like it probably would added a little bit more comedic aspects to it. To me, what well, was kind of funny. And it's actually probably not as funny as just the fact that you remembered it one in all this time. And it's funny when you said you remembered, I can remember where we were at champs when we had the conversation. Now I can totally visualize that. Um, I think what's happened to me actually over the years it's become if you think about like the recent news it's just become more like confirmed where it's kind of like um part of me is a little um disappointed i guess when you think about the world where it's like oh my gosh all of a sudden all this stuff is happening and i'm like i've been dealing with this my whole life and so i think for me it's more of a affirmation and in some ways it's kind of almost like a really weird um it's almost therapeutic as weird as that sounds because it's, it kind of lets me kind of um, it allows me to share my truth a little bit differently because a lot of times, like the, the handful of times that's in the past, people would be like, no, that didn't really, you know, or you're exaggerating a component of that, that, that didn't happen. You know, where today, if you were to tell that story, they'd be like, Oh, that's all that happened. You know, all, all they did was rescue. You know, like, I think like that's the piece that's polarizing to me over the years. So I, I, I think, you know, to, to kind of echo your, your sentiments, like I get that how, you know, with current events, you can feel like you're at least, you know, acknowledged or a weight has kind of been lifted, right? Because you've been carrying the story and told in, a, in an expert fashion, by the way, like talk that's about true. the comic relief up in it, right? I, there's there's a, a great way to tell a story and you hit all the all the pieces of it. Um, but the fact that you've had to, you know, carry this and in a way, I don't want to say like cope, but, you know, comedy is a form of a coping mechanism, right? Like you've coped with this, like you, you dealt with this, this, this event a long time ago. Right. And as, as you said, now people are like, Oh, that's all that happened or that didn't really happen. And the first thing someone's going to ask you is like, so, so what actually happened? Like, what did you actually do? Right. And, and that shouldn't be the question that they're asking, but I think it's I, I I don't know if you saw me, but my mouth was hanging open the entire time this uh, this story was going on. Yeah, I know Phil grabbed a screenshot of it. I took a screenshot because it, it was just amazing. <laughs> it was 
I just uh, I, that's that's a wild story, and I, I'm I'm glad that you can talk about it uh, the way that you can. But holy holy crap, man! I I almost exploded all over the place uh, after you were done telling it. I'm with. But this is a this is a family podcast. But jeez. <laughs> And you know that you know it's serious because he has to edit it. So that means just every every time you say that's one more bleep for him. <laughs> I mean, but you here he is, just <laughs> it right, you know? <laughs> Holy! Oh, I hope y'all here, but man, right? <laughs> so there's actually a follow-on question to that. Do you think? And I'm I'm want to hear what you have to say as well, Rodney. Uh, about this, but do you think, like, in, in the context of this story or in general, do you think that when you had kids, your view of that story and just overall how you approach police, the worlds, everything, how how did that how did that change, if at all? I think it totally changed. I think it's more so. Um, I think I became even more afraid of the the sheer possibility of what could happen. You know, in particular, um, I think there's always, you know, I had a, a my daughter first and um, I'm really grateful that I had a girl first because if I had my son first, like my son just is like, let me set the world on fire and gives me a heart attack every time he does anything. But <laughs> I think that um, there's always this level of protection you feel as a dad to your daughter, right? I didn't understand it until I became a dad of a daughter myself, but now I totally understand it, right? Um but it really took even a more significant flight with my son. Like thinking about um, the uh, thinking about the story, but also thinking about today's events. Like there's a certain level of protection I can't give him in the world that he's going to have to face, you know. And and I think like that that scares the crap out of me. It scares the crap out of me to see what um, what the world looks like. Um, years from now i hope it's for the better you know um but if he has to deal with half of what i've had to deal with and then you compound that with just access to information you know social media like all this stuff that i you know was coming up like crying out loud it was like aol was still a thing you know when i was you know younger (laughs) and things like that so like all of that and just the immediacy of access like even in watching my daughter you know, I put this on social media when all the George Floyd stuff was happening. It was a harsh face to face for me to watch my nine year old daughter look at that TV screen and turn her head. She couldn't look at it. And then she literally looked me in the face. And I was like, when I put her to bed, I was like, what's what what was so traumatic? You know, and I'm thinking she's going to say it's because, you know, there's this this big dude with a knee on somebody's neck or, you know, obviously you can't shield them all from violence. But she literally looked at me. She's like, because that could have been you. And she's nine. And I think like that type of, I don't think as a nine-year-old, even though I grew up around violence on the south side of Chicago, I didn't get access to that type of stuff. You know, um, I was afraid of the, the gangster disciples or the vice lords that were in our neighborhood. Not that, you know. And so it's just a whole level, a different level of, um, it's a different level of anxiety and fear that people have to deal with. And as a parent, like you can't help but carry that. You know, and you can't help but be like, I can't. If Jaden decides to hang out with some buddies and their dad is a, they don't like, you know, black kids or mixed, you know, my kids are half white. Like if they're like, 
yeah, they don't agree with that and they decide to do whatever, I can't stop them. You know, I'm not there to protect them. So that's that's for me. It's it's like double down. You know, some of the you think about your worst fears with that and then you're like I can't stop it. That's what's scary to me. Yeah, I mean that's I feel like this is one of the the points that I feel it must be clearest in terms of just privilege. Like it's not that Adam and I as, you know, white parents of white kids don't have to worry about our kid like getting kidnapped mm-hmm. or whatever or getting hit by a car or any of that. We have to worry about the safety of our kids. Of course we do. But there's a whole nother layer on top that we don't have to worry about. And that's right. that I feel really drives it. I like I, I I when when you say that it just feels like that's such an obvious concrete example of privilege to to me at least where it's just like I don't it's I don't even have to think about it right like I don't like it's never it's not something that really crosses my mind it's like what if the cops come by and see mm-hmm. Mira playing with like her bubble wand or whatever and think gun and then shoot her like mm-hmm. it's just not. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't even have crossed my mind. I mean, and to be honest, it wouldn't even cross my mind until it happened. I, that was Wisconsin too, wasn't it? Like where they, the kid had like a toy gun and they shot him. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> like it, it just wouldn't even come into my head. And I think that it just really, it really drives it home. Uh, a lot of, you know, I'm listening to a lot of stories, right? And and now is the time where everyone is coming out and telling, you know, their stories just of day-to-day life, you know, being black, right? And interfacing with, you know, figures of authority and how that differs from everyone else's experience, right? So so Phil mentioned, like, yeah, there are tons of dangers out there, right? We all have the talks with our kids, right? Don't talk to strangers. Don't, you know... Um, play with things that are dangerous. You have all these talks, but I'm hearing more and more that there's a, there's another talk that goes on. If you're black, right. They have the talk with you about here's what may happen. If you come into contact with law enforcement and here's how you may be treated. Right. And here's what you do. And there's a whole separate talk essentially that happens um, from all of these stories. This is kind of what I'm, what I'm gathering. And to Phil's point, yeah, that, that's a whole layer that, that we have no exposure to. Like, we, we've never had to tell our kids to worry about, hey, you know, these people who are here to protect you, well, they're here to protect some of you, right? Or they're going to treat you different just because you look the way you do. And, and I, I can't imagine, you know, in, like to Phil said, this is like where the privilege, you know, kind of comes into play where it's like, you know, hearing now all of these stories I think has been something for, for everyone to take in, right? And this is kind of leads into a question that I want to ask a, a little bit later. Um, but I, I think now, right, we're all reevaluating just how we see the world and how we see the world through other people, right? Again, going back to storytelling, that's the best way to, to gain someone's perspective. So I, you know, I, I'm kind of getting lost in thought here, but I'm curious if, you know, your kids are still young, um, both of you, your kids are still young, but did you guys ever have this, you know, did your parents ever talk to you? And especially uh, Toby, like after this experience, you know, I'm sure you had, you know, had some, some talk about law enforcement or how you may be treated, but did you guys ever have like a formal talk like that? Or do you plan on having that talk with your kids? And I know it's probably accelerated now with current events. So yeah, Rodney, cause you have, you've got two sons also. Yeah. 
and um, you know, growing up in in, in Zimbabwe, um, uh, it's a place where you know, somewhat differently from here. There's gun control. There's that like situation. The circumstances are are, are different. But I approached it from I approached it like you know, grew up in a place where it came out of Rhodesia, which was minority minority run um, uh, or minority in power. Um, and the majority were the ones who were kept, who were, who were the ones who were pressed there. Um, and then coming out of that, there was a whole different set of circumstances than what Toby um, um, explained. Um, and, you know, there were, there were examples of, you know, um, racism, segregation, like, you know, there were certain neighborhoods where you didn't go into um, there were certain schools which were kind of like perceived as schools that 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 black kids didn't go to. Um, but as things developed, and as you know, as as the the the, the wealth shifted slightly, um, you found that you know um, you know uh, I, I I was sent to to a school which um, I'd say probably about fifty fifty well about forty forty um, percent um, white and black. Um, uh, and I, you know, it was, it was, it was a private school, but, you know, I, I went to the school my entire life. Um, the, um, um, there was actually a specific school which opened up and it was kind of like the, the plan was that, oh, the white farmers kids would be able to go there and not have to worry about, you know, like it was like kind of segregating the school for themselves. But as it got more expensive trying to keep black people out they actually end up having more black people who were going there because, you know, the, the, the wealth started to shift and um, coming to the United States was, was eye opening for me in, in several ways because there was, there was always this idea of what's, what, what America is, is seen as and how it is built up. Um, and then how it is, which is a totally different thing. Um, uh, and fast-forwarding, that and you know obviously there's stories to tell about things that i've experienced but fast forwarding to to answer the question um as we are here um with 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 two boys my my fallback is always that that fear of being here and it's not about like it's not like canada is going to be you know like safer um it's not like you know like anywhere else is like the, 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 the the racism is everywhere um, it's not like it's going to be that, but there's something about to me which um, comes to. I don't want to add guns into the mix, mm. and even though this what what the situation that we are in right now, there were there, there wasn't a gun which was in play. Um, it's still that's still what I come back to is, and and it's it's one of the, and and what I think what makes it more shocking for me is that it's like I always worried about the gun. That was like somebody's going to shoot my kid. Somebody's going to shoot me. Worrying about somebody's going to be, you know, put their knee on somebody's neck when eight minutes and forty six seconds. To me, that's it. It's not something that I had put as a possibility. And 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 I, I'm I'm lucky enough that the kids are, you know, uh, you know, with the oldest one being almost five, they have no idea this is all going on, and. <clears throat> I hope to have stories that I can tell them of how things have changed. But mm. like initially my thought right now is like, it's like, 
where do I go where I can take some of the dangers away so that they don't have to deal with those? And maybe they deal with the dangers that I dealt with growing up, but which weren't all the same as here. Mm. You lived in the UK, right, Rodney, also? Uh, for a year. Um, for a year? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, for everybody. Um, yeah. And, I mean, to add, sort of Adam's question there, what, you know, there's, there's, there's a particular part, extra layer of fear, in my mind, of, of dread, of when it's the police... Right, like Toby was talking about, like they're gangs, right on the south side, and there's something about that that feels a little less. It's still terrible, but it's not like the the call's not coming from inside the house. Like when you when you call the cops, they're supposed to come help you, not like come arrest right. you for supposedly like breaking into your own house or to pull mm-hmm. over your car and tow it. Because no, of course it's not your car. What like what like it's so strange. Um, and I mean, I suppose neither, none of your sons may even be at, like, I suppose, I don't know, five is starting to get up there. Like, what yeah. is, like, what, what kind of, what is, the, what does that conversation even look like? Because I imagine also, like, if, it, in my mind, not even having experienced this, it's one of those, it's almost like, you also don't want them to be so terrified of the police that they never think to utilize yeah. them. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So either one of you can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was just going to say like, you know, a, a lot of what Roddy was sharing while I was in another country, you know, I can relate, you know, completely. Um, and even Adam, back to what you were talking about, like, um, as you all know, as parents, I think one of the hardest things, that, well, one of the things I've realized is that kids are a lot more observant than you realize, and they remember a lot more things than you realize. So, um, yeah, like with my daughter, you know, and I'll give credit to my wife, like, um, she's actually really a lot better at, than me at kind of going there with a lot of things. I think that part of that is, and, and now that, you know, being a part of this conversation, now that I think about it, I wonder if she's a little bit freer to do it because she's white. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, she's very just kind of like, um, with some of this stuff now, my wife also is, you know, the first one that will say black lives matter and she will go toe to toe with anybody about anything. And that's one of the things I admire about her. Um, but watching her kind of go on this journey too, cause some of this stuff for her being, she has, um, I think part of her passion has been fueled by, you know, she has parts of her extended family that's in like way Northern Minnesota where there are no black people that have very different opinions, you know? Um, and so when we think about parenting together, um, I think in a lot of ways, she challenges me to kind of like go there. Um, and I think kind of to Rodney's point, there's this, there's this, like, I kind of want to shield you from the world that is actually going to be your reality, but I shouldn't. Um, and Bill, I think you said it real well, growing up in the South of Chicago, like my best friend was shot and killed at 18 across the street from where I grew up. And that was when I first heard the news of that. It was almost like, yeah, you know, I'm one of a couple of black kids within my like four or five block radius as a black male that made it to 18. Pretty normal. Like, 
as, as weird as that sounds, it's like, okay, you watch statistics. But then when you think about sitting down with your, with your son and your daughter, you know, especially I just keep going back to thinking about my daughter is watching her process um, the memorial for George Floyd, watching her process all this stuff. I mean, you just take the world in general, watching her process all that. I think when you sit down to have these types of conversations, um, you have to prepare yourself for um, this kind of like disbelief. Like my daughter wants to disbelieve that that can happen. Um, and it's almost like you don't want to force her to be like, no, 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 this could really happen. You know, and believe it or not, and I'm sure Rodney can, can tell the same types of things. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but like that story about Wisconsin is one in a volume of stories. Like I have s stories that I could be like, and it's not just law enforcement. It's um, no one. Could, my parents could not have prepared me growing up for me date my first girlfriend, for example, in college was a pastor's kid in Minneapolis. She just happened to be white. First girl I dated. You know, I'm I'm definitely an equal opportunity dating person. So you know when I <laughs> Well when not I anymore, born, right? Not not anymore. <laughs> date my wife. But my parents couldn't have prepared me for me sitting in my dorm room as I went to college young. I was seventeen. Me sitting in my dorm room my freshman year, dating my my sorry, eighteen years old, my sophomore year sitting in my dorm room, and her dad rolled up on my college campus. Ironically enough, the college where George Floyd's memorial was held is the college I went to. Okay, that's the college I graduated from. So he rolled up to um, our school on a Sunday night. Keep in mind, this guy's a pastor, whatever you believe about that. Stood outside my dorm window and called me every racial epithet I could imagine for dating his daughter. Never had shook his hand. Never met him. Didn't know him. Um, what do you, how do you prepare? Or how could my parents prepare me for that? They can't. You know, and I, so I draw that as a parallel to, I don't know if there's anything you can really say as a parent to really prepare, you know, how could I prepare my son to be like, hey, if you see a cop, no, there's things I can tell him, like Adam said, like, you know, I read something on somebody posted a thing or something where it's like, they talked about privilege and they're like, yeah, you know, you get up and you put, your 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 legs in your pants one leg at a time as a black man i have to think about what's it going to look like when i'm walking my dog and how people are going to perceive me like when i'm getting in an elevator with you and, and things like that there's just not a um i could tell Jaden, hey here's what you do but then there's this element of you come across the wrong person with the wrong thoughts with the with a different type of intention i don't know as much you can say so how do you kind of sit down and say, okay, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of funny. Like when I was right before we got going, I was sitting on the couch with my wife and I was scrolling through news feeds. They're going after Paw Patrol. Did you see that right now? Like what? there's a group that's going after Paw Patrol. Yeah, there's a group that's going after Paw Patrol that they're like, get rid of the cops, like put the dog down. Like, and so there's Whoa. this like, <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah, there's this extreme. Right. There's this extreme that I, I can approach and take to my kids to be like, I'm not going to sell. Uh, and I actually got grief from from a black friend of mine when I was well, from a cousin of mine that was like, why aren't you calling out every cop? And I'm like, well, I have friends that are cops that are black, that are white, that are that would have never done that. Right. Um, 
And I know, like, so how do I say, I can't tell my kid, like, hey, everybody, every cop that you see has ill intentions. Um, so it really is a polarizing conversation uh, to have. But I'm learning that you do have to go there because if you don't, I would rather go there myself than have somebody else go there for them or have them experience it, you know, for the first time and be like, why didn't you tell me that the world was kind of like this? And I'm with you, Phil. Like, I hope that the world changes and hopefully a conversations like this help, but I don't think there's anything you can do to prepare them, but I, I'd rather be the person that they hear it from, you know? Yeah. Just to, just to pick up on something that you said there. Um, so <clears throat> it's funny. Cause like, I think I've only told the story to, to Katie. Um, and then like this year I've told it, now this is going to be the third time that I've told it this year. And it's, it's interesting because I'd never like told somebody and it, it, and it's part of like my background and how I viewed um, the police of that, which, which kind of, I think actually helped out in the situation. But um, I, you know, I've been in the country for like maybe like a year or two. Um, and I was with a, with a, with a, um, my, my some really good friends that I met, um, still really, really close to them. Um, and they, they, they went to Seattle um, uh, to go visit another friend of theirs. And they asked me if I could babysit their, their, their kid, like, over, um, you know, while they're away. And, you know, it was, I got along with the kid, so it was like, you know, it was, like, it was awesome. Um, I was like, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Um, we were at the park, like, on a Saturday. And, you know, um, you know we're having a great time, you know, um, and leaving the park. Um, there was, you know, the, you know, the police like come by and like, they just like roll right up. Um, and it was a situation where the, the, the officer like comes up and he's like, Oh, you know, do you mind if we ask you a question? We have the park right over there. And I was like, yeah, yeah. It's like over there. And, um, just, and you know, they asked me like, do you see, um, this black man who was attacking this kid? And I was like, no, I didn't see that. I was like, I, I, I wasn't really looking around for that, but I think I would have noticed it. And I didn't see anything like that. Um, and you know, asked me like, a couple of questions like, Oh, how do you know this kid? You know, I told him my, my friends like you know out of town you know and he's like okay and you know I, it, it was it was pretty obvious like you know if you looked at you know my hmm. my relationship with Reddy that you know I knew him and that kind of stuff um so the police officer like, well you know if you, if you see anything just you know let us know and 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 you have a good day right? all right fine I don't even think about it I go down a block and this guy in this Crown Vic like pulls up right next to me and he's like hey um. You know, I, I want to say I'm sorry. I I called the cops and I told them, you know, because I kind of saw this white kid with this black dude at the park, and I was like, something's wrong. So I called them. I told them that wow. uh, there was somebody who was a kind of kid, but you know, I didn't mean for it to 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 go. Like, and I'm sitting there. What like, did he expect to happen? I, I know, and and I and, and I, I, you know, he 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 tried to apologize. I I just. So great, I picked him up and I was like, we are going and we left. And mm. I always like think that if 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 I hadn't had if I hadn't had hadn't had the the, the, the background that I've had um growing up in Zimbabwe versus growing up in the United States, I would have approached that situation entirely differently. Um yeah. I I also realized that if I had been aware like, like the thing that if I, if I hadn't have been in that moment, like where Red and I were sharing a moment, I would have reacted in a way that might 
not seem like you know like it was like you know like like obviously not in a, in a friendly confine and as as we're talking about like you know telling the stories and stuff like that is like that is also a story that i also want to tell my kids which is that right there i met a cop who was able to take a situation take a call assess a situation mm. and be able to eliminate what was what was what was what was full and what was what was reality and I am forever grateful that that was the cop who showed up then. because if it had been any other cop, I don't think I would be here. And, you know, like if somebody like, you know, puts that story out like that. Um, so you, you have to be the one that tells the kids like how, you know, like basically how the world is. I mean, you try to fill them with hope and <laughs> that's how I plan on doing it and saying, you know, that there's, there's, there are these situations where you do need to look out for for these things, but I think I think you have to. I think if you don't tell them stories, I don't think if you don't tell them what what actually happens out there, and don't prepare them, then they're going to hear from a source that either you don't want them to hear from and take the wrong message for from it, or maybe they just or something else might might happen. And, I, and I'm and I'm afraid of what that other situation can be. And the only thing that I can control is how I shape that conversation that I have with them. And that's, that's where I think I still have some control and some power in the situation is being able to shape that conversation. So, yeah. It's almost like as if you want to, and thanks for sharing your, that story, Rodney. Like, uh, it's interesting. And I don't know, Phil or Adam, if you saw it while I was watching you share that story while you did not have the burst of laughter I did when I was telling my initial story, <laughs> you know, there was a component of where you almost like, half smiled because you're like yeah this happened right um to your point around them hearing the story i think you almost want i want my kids to almost have muscle memory um in terms of if i tell you enough of the stories that happened to me i would hope that maybe if you end up in a situation that somehow you can kind of rewind the tape now you may have to respond differently um it, it was a really it was a real big um shock to my system when I first started. Um, I don't usually take to social media about anything uh, political or fiery or things like that, just because, I mean, I just sometimes just can't deal with the trolls. And sometimes you're like, man, I just don't want to deal with the ripple effect. But in particular, I think, you know, the news of George Floyd, or I mean, you can go back to any home with a Quan McDonald and all those types of things, they just kind of build up in you. And when I sent put up my initial post about the George Floyd thing. It was, it was really, it was eerily surprising how many people who replied to the post that I wrote. And it was just kind of about like change and, and how awful that was and how I can relate and some of my own emotions, how many people from high school, college, grammar school, they were replying to my post about stories I told them that involved them in my own journey. So like, for example, somebody was like, Hey, I totally understand Toby. Remember that time where you were hanging out at my parents' house and you left and you're like, I hope I don't get pulled over. And you got pulled over that day. Um, or um, I remember a, a good friend of mine, Tim, and this goes back to the whole parenting thing, really good friend, Tim, 
they live in Addison. His parent, he's a lawyer. He went to DePaul Law, like, you know, pretty, pretty privileged family, but great family, had a great worldview. And I remember being at his house uh, one night, hanging out with him and his brother. And I was leaving early evening to go home. And um, I, before I left, um, I had taken a phone call. I had, I had a cell phone at this point. Um, I had, a, I took a phone call and I was literally, if you can imagine being out in a, you know, as, as outskirts of Chicago and Addison in front of my car on the phone, just having a conversation that lasted no longer than, I don't know, three minutes. You know, I think I was telling somebody where I was headed or I was like, I'll meet you somewhere. Um, and, um, I hang up the phone, I get in my car, I leave. And Tim called me the next day and he was like, you wouldn't believe, you wouldn't believe what happened. And I was like, what? He's like, when you come over later, I'll show you. So I come over to his house. And he hands me their, like, um, he shows me their, like, local news, like their local police blotter. And somebody had written, like, suspicious black male on phone, like, it was describing me the night before. And so I say that to say, like, I want to be able to tell my son and even my daughter, like, those stories, not to freak them out, but to be like, somebody is watching you all the time. Like, and it's a different kind of watching. Like, you know, uh, if I'm standing in, um, it, it's so weird. It's, it's, it's absolutely exhausting. It's smothering. And I will tell you as a, as a black man today, as a black parent, the hard thing too, and this is why I appreciate you all, you know, taking my story, Rodney's story, you know, there's hundreds of stories out there, you know, ours is just one or mine's just one, but um, there are so many eyes upon you that like even little simple things like two days ago, going to the grocery store, I'm in the self checkout and there's a guy in the self checkout next to me and he's just watching me bag my groceries and your height, you know, the heightened sense of just interracial relationships across the world, right? Is there's a sensory, there's this reflex you feel from people out now you know i walk past a black person i feel like they want to hug me more than they did yesterday um i walk past a white person and i feel like they want to ask me every, all of the sins that they've had on their forefathers they just want to talk to me about so this guy literally watches me bag my groceries and he's like trying to make small talk and he literally if you can picture this i'm bagging my groceries and this guy's like making small talk next to me and he comes up and just kind of like pats me on the back like really hard and i'm like what are you doing, dude? And he was in a weird way. He was like trying to, he was like, I'm just trying to relate and all this other stuff. And I'm like, dude, one, I didn't talk to you. Two, I'm just trying to get my groceries and my Klondike bars and get out of Dodge here. And I don't know where this is coming from. And so it's just like, it's stuff like that. That is like, uh, yeah. Um, be prepared to be watched, son. Be prepared to be watched, daughter. But the exhausting part of that, too, is just you can't um, you have to accept the fact that I can't speak for every black person. and I can't answer the question for every white person, but I can control my house to a degree. But then you put this angle of like, yeah, Jaden, even right now as a as a six year old kid in a mostly white neighborhood, the parents are watching you more than the others. And I and, and he has to know that. Olivia has to know that, like, 
you're a beautiful nine-year-old girl that I'm proud to be your dad, but someone is looking at you differently. Some could be for good reasons. Like, you know, the whole, you, you fast forward and you zoom out and I'll, I'll shut up here, but you zoom out into even things like as a, as a black parent, like, how do you talk about dolls? What pretty looks like? What, um, what the standard of good looks like? Like there's all these layers of that that are conversations that, you know, a, a, a blonde haired girl picks up a Barbie and they're like, Hey, this looks just like me, you know? Um, whereas Olivia is kind of like, which doll do I play with? And oh, by the way, if I play with this other doll, is that okay? You know? And so that lends into a whole nother set of dialogue as a parent that as a, as a black parent is just, that's par for the course, unfortunately, but you have to, it's not just about talking about a cop. It's about all this stuff on top of it that all somehow comes together like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, that's what's hard. And so, yeah, going back to my original point, I hope that um, I hope that those stories resonate with them so they can be like, I remember dad went through this or or dad talked to me about this. I can't paint every scenario, but I can paint as many as I as I can so they understand. When you want to you want to bring them into a situation like where they can take whatever is there and process it, funnel it in a way that is, oh man, I feel bad saying this, but in a safe way and in a way that doesn't call extra attention to them for the wrong reason. Not and even saying the wrong reason, that doesn't even sound right. And it's like, but it's like, but yeah, it, it's, and you, you mentioned this earlier that, that it's exhausting and it, and it is, it's like, you sit there and you like think that, and it's like, it's, it's just a lot. And part of the thing about like during this whole time is this, is this, um, and I think that's the reason why I think a lot of people are sharing is that people are sitting there thinking that, oh, finally I can say it without somebody like not understanding, or at least not even understanding, but somebody not listening. And I feel that the one thing that I'm actually like, like starting to feel is actually different this time is that people seem to be wanting to listen. And that's different from every other situation that I've seen, because by now the playbook that we see would have been, you know, you'd be talking about what circumstances led up to the event, everything like that. There's been very little of that, or at least it's been drowned out by the stories of people that people are sharing. And, and that's hopefully makes a difference. Uh, Toby, you mentioned something, and I know Rodney, you actually moved back to the Chicago area, uh, at least partially for this reason. Um, but Toby mentioned something specifically like Northern Minnesota is just like no black people <laughs> to be seen. No, it's as white <laughs> as the snow that covers the ground. Uh, and, um, that actually reminded me, so my parents are from Minnesota and I was actually born in DC, but, uh, and so I, I lived in DC until I was, until I was 10. Um, but I remember at one point, um, going over like demographic information about during the civil rights movement and Minnesota, like as an entire state is still pretty dang white. Uh, and at the time it was really white and so I remember asking my dad, who's a journalist, he's lived in DC, you know, he worked for the Associated Press, and I was like, hey, was it, did you think he was, did you think you were less racist 
because you were just there weren't any black people around like how do you form opinions about people that aren't even there he's like no actually i'm pretty sure that just not having anybody around meant that the only opinions you for like you didn't have any you didn't have anything else to go off of um and that really struck me and then i know that rodney you moved back partially because you just weren't finding uh, the di- type of diversity that you were looking for um, out here. Um, and uh, that's actually stuck with me a bit. Like one of the things I like about Mira and Ada's daycare is that she's the minority. Like she is one of, if you include her and Ada, there's like three white kids at this daycare and there's Indians, Pakistani black, like there it's a nice diverse group. and. Um, partially because of you, Rodney, actually, like I, that's, that grew in importance, but I was wondering if you could speak to sort of how you feel about why that diversity in a community is important to you in particular and to how you raise your kids. So, um, uh, actually, so when we moved back, so we didn't live down in area, um, because of the lack of diversity at the time so it was that wasn't that wasn't the big the big thing for us um it was uh oakland is still and that's the reason why we actually lived in oakland was that we both wanted to be in a diverse place um is i'm also in a a interracial marriage um uh we we had come from in chicago like and and every place that we went on vacation except hawaii where people would look at us being in this interracial relationship. And it was kind of interesting because it's like, we kind of had this, um, it, it was like, we, we, we noticed it enough where we were like, oh yeah, they're looking at us because we're not the typical couple um, that people see. And actually, one of the things that I absolutely loved about Oakland was, um, uh, I don't know if you've been to Jack London Square, um, or and there's there's every every other week they have like some festival and stuff for that and it was it was just what we were it, it, we're out there one day we're walking around I'm looking around and I see two couples walk by and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking they stand out to me I don't know what it is and I'm like looking at them looking at them there's a it was a, a white couple a black couple and I'm walking I'm like looking I'm thinking I'm like why 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 am I why are they sticking out to me. And then it struck me was that at this festival, they were the only couple that was not that was straight, like typical couple that you see in the rest of America. I it was like I was sitting there and I was like, oh, I've gotten to to a point like where I'm here where I'm like that's that's not normal to me anymore. What's normal is 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 mixed race. Um, uh, gay, LGBTQ, um, uh, like like relationships and stuff, like that. and it was like it was it was kind of amazing. And I sat there and I, and I turned to Kim. I was like, "This is awesome. I love this. We are not unusual, you know." And and um, part of my worry. So it's it's actually another thing is that my worry coming back was missing out on that. Um, and it's it, it's it's funny because it's like I I always like think that. In 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 the places that I've lived in in the United States, people, places that I've visited, the 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 friendless places that I've been to are probably the places which I they feel like are the most diverse. And New York has this problem 
but New York is one of the places, which I think is one of the friendliest places in, in, in America. Uh, and I know that's not what you typically hear. Wait, um, you mean New York City? The <laughs> city, like, famous city. for... Yes. Like, proud. Well, you know what? But they're mad because of traffic and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you go to touristy places, yes, you are going to experience <laughs> the typical <laughs> New York like, thing that... Yeah, but if you're, like, down, like, in, like, in, like, in, like, um, uh, like, in, like, if you're there, like, not in where the tourist places are, where people are actually living, and I feel like New York is, like, one of the, the, the friendliest places. Um, Oakland was also, like, one of the friendliest places that I've been, and, and, you know, Hawaii, obviously, is Hawaii, is Hawaii, it's, it's, it's awesome, so, um, yeah, it's, I, I love it, but, um, being back here, um, it's, it's one of those things, like, where I, where, where it stands out to me more, because, Chicago is, I feel Chicago is diverse by number alone, by by the by the figures, um, and it's not even and, and it's not even just on like you know like like black white or, or race um, um, economic like situation. Um, uh, you you can you can find yourself being in a very insular place in Chicago where you don't leave your neighborhood, mm-hmm. and it and and as a result, it's it's like you know I can't tell you the last time I went down to Chicago just to go hang out. And was, well, you know, right now it's like, you know. Well, you have kids you also, so who but, hangs out? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so it's like, but one of, but the thing that we tried to do, like, when we came back, we tried to make sure that we were, like, looked for, like, a daycare where it was a diverse daycare, where there was, like, representation, <clears throat> and we were lucky enough to find that. Um, mm. The school that we're going to, it's, it's where we, we moved into a neighborhood where in our school district, it is very diverse. Like, like, like the diversity, like in, in this area, is like pretty amazing. And I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Um, uh, it's it could it be better. Yes, it could be. But there's there's a there's a representation of everybody, and 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 I love that out there. So I'm I, I try to in wherever I am is to find those like, places where there is that diversity, where I can like experience more than what you see and also help others experience what you see and maybe neighborhood by neighborhood we can make things better phil i think you bring up an interesting question and um similar rodney and just in terms of the importance of a diverse neighborhood you know when i relocated um for work uh from chicago to dc I had never, unlike you, Phil, I had never been to Washington, D.C., oddly enough, and I have had jobs that have taken me literally around the world. And I was like, huh, I've never been to Washington, D.C., and I'm about to move my family there. This is different, and my wife had never been there, and um, I was actually pleasantly surprised with the type of diversity that's in D.C., Maryland, Virginia. You know, say what you will about the outskirts of, you know, there's the story that came out of... um, you know, Maryland recently about the guy who was uh, mad at the kids for the Black Lives Matter stuff. And oddly enough, that was not too far from where we lived. Um, but for the most part, I mean, it's it's a melting pot, right? Because whether you like it or not, uh, you're going to have to live there if you work for the government. So you kind of force everybody to be together. And I remember the first, the second night that we were sat down to eat as a family up there, my daughter looked around and she saw so many kids that were multicultural different races different countries and rodney i couldn't echo your sentiments even more like chicago is diverse by nature but when you think about the actual way chicago's laid out um 
you know, you have an Italian part, a Chinese part, a black part. Um, and those oftentimes those, those areas don't intermix. And I think about myself and I, to get back to the, the topic that we're talking about, this lens of looking at it as a parent. Um, when I grew up, my parents intentionally, like, I mean, I went to the typical, I went, I was pretty lucky. My parents, um, while we didn't have a lot of no stretch of imagination, a lot of money, uh, we actually lived in a basement all together in the bottom of my grandmother's house. They actually sent us to private school for a lot of years uh, growing up in, in the city. Um, but then there was a point when we got into our latter elementary school years and things like that, um, where I had my first real introduction to my like true introduction in a real way to my neighborhood where the private school that I was going to in the middle of August went belly up and they're like, Hey, you're going to have to go to uh, Caldwell elementary school for eighth grade, which is right down the street from 87th and Stony Island where I grew up. And they're like, yeah, but don't worry. It's a magnet school. And I'm like, okay, a magnet school, whatever that means. And they literally, because of the timing, my homeroom was the remedial school, remedial classroom. <laughs> Um, and so I was in there with the stereotypical, like, you know, I was like, oh, that's, that's the local leader of the gang that I know. And now my desk is right next to them. And so there was this like polarizing awakening as a kid. Right. So I had that going on, but then literally a year later, my parents decided to send us to school in the Southwest suburbs. So they bust us out of the city to Palos Heights, Oak Forest. I actually went to a small high school in Oak Forest. And when I think about the importance of diversity, um, I was either in one of two pots. I was either with all black people or I was one black person with all not black people. And usually it was like 85% white. And I think what that has done for me as a parent, it's shaped my perspective of trying to introduce my kids to as much of the world as possible because even um with where we live and you had mentioned at the top of the podcast that you know we've homeschooled my we homeschool my kids and we've done doing it for years and well i shouldn't say i do my wife does um <laughs> she covered good recovery to be fair to be fair um but my daughter went to kindergarten for one year uh she went to school and um when we took her out for various reasons that she was doing well in school. And my wife just was like, let's try this. And it became something that stuck, but we had to have these conversations of how do we introduce her as it was just her at the time to diversity. Like, what do you do? And you know, thankfully there's a bunch of homeschool groups around us and things like that, that we've been connected to, but it's the importance of these neighborhoods, even around how you think about, again, it's about shaping their worldview. So when we took my daughter to get her, hair done the first time or haircut like i remember my wife and god bless my wife i don't know how she some of her minnesota dna like she figured something out i don't know phil but i remember oh, her yeah? standing in this yeah like yeah well, you betcha so i remember standing in this um <laughs> this like barber shop or, or this hair salon or whatever and my wife is having this very pointed conversation with this woman where she was like how familiar are you with this hair Right. And she looked at this woman and this woman was like, oh, she just thought it was fun. She's like, I can play around with it. And my wife was real quick. She's like, who else works here? 
Um, and then she ended up getting somebody that actually do something with the hair. It's a small example, but that's the diversity piece, right? You can't, you have to somehow balance their worldview so they know that it's okay to be different. But at the same time, they have to figure out, like I had to figure out how to interact with people that maybe never had met a black person in their life. Like, and so you have to kind of, for, you almost have to force that. Um, so they can, they can mess up or, or learn a little bit. Um, so they just know there isn't a right or wrong way. They need to find their own way there. So I think diversity is, is super important and it's just going to become more and more important because I think it's more to Rodney's point. I think interracial marriages of all sorts are more common now than, than ever, you know, or they're more outward i should say and i think inter not just interracial i think what looks like a traditional marriage is totally different in the world that we live in right and so how do you how do you introduce your kids to that so they know that that's that's okay right versus something being like taboo or no you can't do that and i think being around it is super important another conversation that i've also that i'm also kind of interested is like we as like just because because of the color of our skin, we're enslaved by another group of people, and that's still with us today. Like this, all has roots. And it, like, I'm not like it, I think it's actually probably one of those things. Like when you become a dad, things become so much more pertinent because I can understand the feeling, but I don't necessarily feel the feeling. So I was wondering if you'd talk about that a, a little bit. The feeling around like. um like the conversation, like how do you, how do you, I get, how do you, like, I can talk to Mira about slavery mm. as a historical yeah. topic, right? It's not, yeah, personal. Yeah, that is um, something for your wife. Is that where you're back? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like, hey, you're, not, you're, about, you're not, you're not related to that. Yeah, honey, let's talk about the 1850s on your side of the family. No, um, <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, I think that. Um, yeah, it's it's again like it's one of those things that even as and and I don't know, Rodney, you probably have experienced this too. I just go back to me growing up, right, and how my parents talked about it. So to give you some context, um, on my dad's side of the family, my grandmother on that side of the family um, was very involved in Operation Push. Like she knew Jesse Jackson back in the like late sixties, early seventies. Um, and so on my, my dad's side of the family growing up and ironically enough, I was born in 1976. So I was born the year roots came out. Right. So, and I have the nickname Toby. So I'm all sorts of stacked up. There's all sorts of cards stacked up <laughs> against me, um, that way. But like, there was all of this like, um, uh, activism. And, you know, I remember going to my grandmother's house, and she had these big pens that would say like Operation Push. And, you know, she helped write um, for uh, the Chicago Defender and, and all this stuff. Right. And as a kid growing up, I didn't really I was trying to understand exactly what like what happened. Right. What happened that all of this is, is going on? What was the history and context of that? Because on the flip side. On my mom's side of the family, um, I have relatives in like Arkansas and Missouri, 
and um, my mom was adopted, and so she had a twin sister, and her family in Missouri had a very different type of activism perspective than my dad's side. You know, um, I had Jesse Jackson and his crew and the Rainbow Coalition on my dad's side, and I had burn all the white people on the left side. And we were somewhere in the, in the middle. Um, and, um, my parents took a very, um, I would say a very balanced approach in talking about as balanced as you can to try to temper our emotions in responding. Right. And so I think about like my kids, I say all that to say this, I have to be able to talk to my kids about what happened in a way I don't want to put, I don't want to inject my own emotion into how they should respond, but I can't talk about that without being emotional. Right. I, I, and I think that that's the piece, right. And in, in talking to them about, um, yeah. So not too long ago, like a, you know, me and my wife were actually having this conversation with Olivia the other day, cause we were celebrating the, law that allowed interracial marriages that was in you know about a week ago a little, not too long ago here in the month of june where that became okay you know, and the famous couple we all know that story and watching my daughter kind of listen to that she was like what there was a time where this could happen and then you start feeling back you know showing the tape and well look let's actually talk about it and so i think that um again not to sound like a broken record I want to control the narrative of how they hear about slavery. And um, again, kudos to my wife too. Like this, the, the history books don't tell it right. Um, and they definitely don't tell it from the perspective of, of a black person, like uh, for the most part. And so I think like, that's where you start. Um, I think you talk very frank about it. Um, and but you also kind of you hope that you can somehow talk about some semblance of like hope too, but you can't avoid it because someone's gonna remind them of it. Like, and that's the thing that's sad is like, I, some kid is gonna remind them of it because some parent has told them the opposite story, you know, um, you know, and 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 that's the piece that is is hard you so you have to arm them with the information i think and and hope that they can handle it you know and they might not be able to and you have to somehow as a parent share it in a way that they don't walk out tomorrow and they're looking sideways at someone that's different than them because of what happened right um because while chains physical chains and i actually had this conversation i was really lucky um a little over a year ago almost a year ago i should say to the day I got to sit down with Representative John Lewis. Um, the the, the job that I, my job, um, I got an opportunity to introduce him to an audience, and so we oh, got to spend I some time. Yes, I saw this. Yes, yeah. So we got to we got to spend some time together, and he signed his the books, you know, March and all those types of things. And I kind of asked him. I was like, so you know, you walk with Dr. King, like how have you talked to your generations about the state of the world? And he very point blank was like, you just tell it. And I was like, like all of it. And he was like, yeah. And he said something that stuck with me around 
like the chains are broken physically, but the chains aren't broken mentally. And I think that that's a really profound statement. Like it's very true. Like, and I have to accept that for myself. Uh, like we talked about at the beginning, like there are chains that are mentally in your head that hold you back from saying certain things. And you have to actually part of breaking through that is actually telling it and saying, no, this is reality. And I think that it becomes the hardest thing about it when you tell your kids it becomes that much more real when you're telling them that and you're like, Holy crap, you may, this is what happened. And, and I can't say that this, you know, things won't happen to you. And this is where your parents, this is where your dad has come from. And this is part of your heritage. You know, that that's hard. That's real, real, you know? Yeah. I'm interested. This actually goes to a conversation that I was having with Rodney earlier today over text message, uh, which was basically, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago or whenever, whenever I was in middle school, the appropriate, you know, correct term was African-American. And I remember Melissa, yet another coworker, this is becoming the former coworker getting mentioned podcast. Um, at one point talking to me about how she didn't like the term, which made, when she explained it, it made perfect sense. It's like, not everybody who's black is African. That's not how that works. And I was talking to Rodney today because it's like, he's actually an African-American in the same way somebody from Italy is an Italian-American. Like, he's actually African-American. Like, what? what is the terminology? And uh, I was like, like, what is it that you, like, what is, how, what is your perspective on this? Uh, I was wondering, one, if you could speak to that, but two, also, Rodney, having two sons born in America, but you being from Zimbabwe, have you thought about how you're going to have a conversation about something in American history that's obviously going to have impact on their lives? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's like, um, me, it's like up until I became an American citizen, I considered myself um, an African who lived in America. Um, and was always like, I was always the person who wanted to put other on the chart. Cause it's like, wait, you're putting African American. That's not technically what I am. And, and, and that kind of so I, I, the term, the term black doesn't, it doesn't, I'm, I'm not afraid of identifying as black and I'm not afraid of somebody identifying me as black. Um, uh, my 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 worries like when 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 there's a little extra put onto it, um, um, and it, it's difficult to explain. <laughs> but no, it's, it's a it's a twist but, in the term in the way somebody yeah. says it or thinks it or they yeah, put a weight yeah. on it. Yeah, and it's and it's and, and that's when that's when it becomes an an, an issue um, for me. And you know, there's there's certain things which just based off of like how I was raised, how I grew up, of certain things that I will not say. And um, um, uh, but I totally understand why other people might say it. Um, but uh, I, I'm not I'm not afraid of the, of the term of being labeled as black and and and, that. and um, just jumping onto what you're saying. Um, about and then onto the part about like you know with the with the kids and like them being American and like you know um well, was involved in American and and teaching them about you know the stuff that happened here is 
there's also the component of the story which I have to tell them is um, you know the brothers and sisters and um, family who were taken and what scars were left the continent from that so that's an added um, thing that I also have to have to have that conversation um, obviously in Zimbabwe less so I you know, obviously, I, there's no numbers to say. Oh, so many people from from this is most of most of the the slaves were brought over were brought, brought over from, from coastal regions, just because that's the way it worked out. Um, um, but you know, there's there's also that component to it, and you just you just you just you just have to tell them be as honest as possible as to what it is, and cut through the things that are either presented as the writings of the victors you know the the, so the the you know the histories written by the victors you have to cut through what that is and be able to say exactly what it is so that they know and they so they're not afraid and and this comes into like you know of, of the term being black or being or identify as black is make sure that they're not afraid of it. they're not afraid of the history and they're able to talk about the history and they know the nuances of what happened, how it happened, so that if anybody brings anything back to them, they have the answer and they can come back and they can say, actually, it's this. Um, so it's, it's doing homework, you know, on my part as well, like making sure that I am armed with the right information and from, from how it happened here in the United States and how it happened in Africa and how it was seen in Africa and then giving them that. And I'm, I'm hopeful that they're going to have like a really unique perspective of it. Um, um, uh, coming from there, just based off of that. But, uh, but yeah. It's... Awesome. Thanks. I mean, that was, that was definitely something. I mean, I still, I remember very, very clearly. I mean, almost as clear as the, the story that Toby told the conversation that I had with Melissa, because it was one of those things where, Speaking of diversity, you know, it's just the term, the sort of this accepted term that is was considered correct. And in in a similar way, recently I was seeing um, that actually a lot of Indians prefer to be called Indians instead of Native Americans. Is like, well, actually, that term, like, we'd really just rather like if you're gonna Indian is fine, it's fine, and and it's one of those things where <laughs> almost in a in a way. Uh, it's very much another one of those things where it's like, oh, well, we'll go ahead. The white people here will decide what you get to be called. And like, no, <laughs> that's not like, that's not, no, like that's not how this works. Uh, and it's like, somebody's like, oh, actually we're going to go with African American. And then it sort of spreads and disseminates as the appropriate thing. And, but at no point necessarily, <laughs> It's one of those things where it's like, like I literally hadn't even crossed my mind to think of it, to think of it any other way until Melissa had brought it up, and it was like, no wait, yeah, you're absolutely, absolutely correct, like one hundred percent. It's one, it's not accurate, and two, that's not what she like. That's not the term that she prefer, and I don't know if that's also the case with Toby. I see Toby nodding a lot here. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you feel similarly about sort of terminology or not, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you just kind of like, 
don't know. Sometimes you try to consider the source, right? Um, where I've seen people literally struggle trying to figure out how to how to address me. Like you literally, I can't think of how many times in my life I've literally watched somebody like you see their mind thinking like, what should I, how should I address you? Um, or what should I say? And there's moments where you're just like, just say whatever you're saying. Cause I'm going to tell you whether or not it feels right once you say it. And the fact a lot of times that you're struggling maybe to say it is might be an indicator of maybe you're, maybe you do need to kind of educate yourself a little bit. Um, and I will tell you too, you know, um, yeah, I did. I have, I did not grow up in Africa. Um, I, you know, uh, don't have the type of, there's a part of me like as a, as a black person in America that I think, um, I've been faced with that conversation by other black people. They're like, well, you're not, especially like some of my friends that are African. They're like, what do you have to do with Africa? And I was like, well, you know, growing up, you're kind of like, well, I do. Right. But don't I? Um, and then you kind of get to a place where you just like, um, yeah, just get to it. Like black is fine, you know, and it's not even like that you're, that you accept it. It's more like, let me kind of like what Rodney said, let me tell you. So if I decide tomorrow, if I decide to I, say African-American, uh, at least I'm saying it, you know, um, versus so it's almost like, uh, it's almost like even like how you approach, like how you want to be addressed in general, right? Like if I can tell you how I want to be addressed or at least give you the option of it, take it. Um, I think, I think in a lot of ways, African-American gives as weird as it sounds in America, I would just give my perspective. I think that people are more apt to say African-American because it, for whatever reason seems or feels softer than being like you're a black person. But I am a black person and, you know, there is a such thing as black pride. There is a such thing as Black Lives Matter. There is a such thing as um, that, that it, there is this um, there is a semblance of true, like, courage, I think, that comes by saying that. Like, I'm black. Now, does that mean I have a, a lineage that traces me back to Africa? Absolutely. But to say in America, I am a black male carries a totally different tone and weight um, in, in every circle, because it's almost like people have a reaction, like a visceral reaction when you're in certain settings. Um, and so I think for me, I don't shy away from saying it for that very reason, um, because I don't want like I don't want to give somebody a pass to be like, OK, we'll, we're just going to because um it's almost like that whole, it, it almost goes to um, one of the most annoying things that I hear people have said to me my entire life. They're like, oh, you're a very articulate black man. Oh. And that is, that is just like, okay, so we're going to have another conversation, you know? So, so, so like that doesn't <laughs> okay, let's put that with, Let's parking lot that we'll come back around to it in just yeah, we'll, a little we'll, bit. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> so we'll come around to that and be like, so because of my color, I'm, I can't be articulate. And so, it's but it's the same type of weight um where someone is like oh you're oh now now you're black versus look at my african-american friend but when that african-american friend turns black you know that that's like look out what's coming and so yeah i think it's important that you put that out there and you say it and you say it with some weight that 
I mean, and you see it. I think that's why people freak out about Black Lives Matter. They're like, why are you saying that? You know, and well, because they do. And and that's a black life. And I and again, not to keep going back to the topic, like I want my kids to be able to wear a T-shirt that says that. I want your kids to be able to wear a T-shirt that says that. Right. But there's like this connotation of, whoa, it's taboo. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. So one thing that I actually wanted to add on um, on that. Um, it's it's I always find like interesting, and, and this is probably where where um, Melissa was coming from as well, is that when 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 people are talking about um, when they're identifying people who are of a different skin color to them, where you 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 don't ever walk up to somebody and say, oh, are you are you this is my Italian American friend. This is my Irish American friend. It's you know this is my African American friend. It's it's putting that label. <laughs> this is my African American friend Rodney. <laughs> like why did you? Uh, and why did you, you say that? And even if you wanted to go there, then maybe you should say that. Oh, this is my Nigerian American friend. You know, it's like you know, it's, it's yeah. Let's, like, let's let's get a little get bit more specific. Africa is a big place. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so you know, it's, it's like one of those things where I'm like, I'm like, it's, and then that's where we're like, you know, the power of language also comes in, and the power of, the power of just calling and saying what it is, because the more we try to hide from it, and this is where it come back to that there, there's this dialogue. People are talking. People are listening. If you try to hide around language, hide around, you know, like like things that make you feel comfortable you end up in the exact same place. Mm-hmm. But if you engage it and, and talk about it and you do not hide that language, you say it. That's how, that's how it gets better. That's how, that's how we have a fighting charm. Yeah, I mean, I've never heard anybody say I have, I have African-American friends. When it comes down to the race card, it's always like, I have black oh, friends. Black, yeah. Well, and I think I, you brought up a good, you reminded me of one of the points of that conversation too, where Melissa was saying, I'm not African American. I'm American. I'm also black, but I'm American. Like it's not a qualifier. And as you we, I was going through like, what are the, like for white people who have had, you know, insert nationality here, who are they, who are those people in history? It's the Irish, the Italians. It's, Germans. It's people who at one time or the other were considered less than white people. Like when have you ever heard anybody say, Oh yes, I'm Scottish American or I'm English American or French American? No. These are all these are all like all of the those terms were also terms that were used to put down groups who were seen as less than American. They weren't American, they were Italian American. And those terms, like, you can say Italian-American now, and it's something that people take a great deal of pride in, and that's great. But, like, like I was seriously just thinking, I was like, have I ever heard anybody say English-American? Ever. Like, no. Because they've, it was never considered a separate group. Uh, and so it, it's, it does seem as though that kind of language can be exclusionary as well, and on all on all fronts. Uh, and it's a, that language is a tool that's been used to oppress and to make 
people the other. Uh, so instead of American, it's a qualified. You're African American or Chinese American. Uh, instead of, yeah, we're all Americans. Done. Full stop. That's it. We're all in this together. Um, and we are like, that's the thing. We are all in this together. And the only way that we can move forward is acknowledge, like acknowledging what's there, like the privilege, the white privilege is there, the institutional racism, the issues that exist in our society. We're never going to get anywhere. If half the population's like what elephant, I don't see the elephant. What do you mean? There's an elephant in here? I don't see an elephant in here. Like, there's the, you're, you're lying. It, it's, there's nothing going on. There's not an issue. You have to acknowledge, like, there's no way to move forward unless you acknowledge the inherent privilege that exists. That doesn't mean it, that your life was easy. Right. It doesn't mean that your life was without trouble. It just means that you've got your troubles, and then here's this whole other pile of troubles just heap on top of those troubles that you also have. So now you got double, double of that trouble. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where it's very hard for me personally to not see when people are approaching things rationally, at least, or at least attempting to how people can deny that. And I'm not going to say there haven't been times in my life where I've been racist. There's not, there's obviously everybody has had those, those times. And there's not been times that I've, then that I've acknowledged my privilege and there are like all of that. Nobody's perfect. And I'm not going to claim any of that for sure. Uh, but it's all like, it's about when you're approaching things rationally, taking the emotion out of it. Like you, like you just have to acknowledge that and it's also extremely <laughs> one it's a sign of privilege that i can even take the emotion out like toby was saying like it's so hard to have these conversations without the emotion and i can at least try that although these days i find it significantly harder uh to remove the emotion that i feel from the conversations because i feel like feel it I feel like everybody like this has been going on for so long and I don't even think that I've been aware. I haven't been aware of it as long as everybody who lives it every day. And Toby said deafening earlier. And I guess similarly, it's like, can't you hear that? Like, can't like, how can you not hear that? And trying to find ways through and then just like constantly getting up against the wall. And not knowing how to get over it. Um, and to wrap background, I suppose to an analogy is like together, you know, each of us helping ourselves up and over the wall. Um, and I just, it's been very long now. It's very late in Chicago. Uh, I really want to genuinely thank both of you very, very much. Um, for speaking to your personal experiences. Um, it's like, I'd heard that story before from Toby and even now hearing it over again, I had the same reaction and 
I mean, even watching Rodney, Rodney's face was like just floored during that whole, during that story. Uh, and it's, I really want to thank both of you for coming on, uh, and agreeing to, uh, to share. And if, you know, open floor here, if you guys have anything else that you want to say, any charities, organizations that you want to advocate for anything like that, you know, go, go right ahead. Um, I mean, I would just say that, you know, thank you for allowing us to be, you know, on here. Um, I think that, um, it speaks to, I think it takes a great deal of, uh, transparency and humility to have this conversation and just, you know, so do you, Bill and Adam, um, to have this dialogue takes a lot of courage, um, to kind of put into the universe, you know, you would think that, um, based upon everything that's been going on, that this should be like normal, right. That we're having these conversations, but I think people are still figuring out ways to have the conversation. I had a, I was telling, uh, a person I respect a ton who's typically been on the sidelines. He's white and he was sharing with me how he plays hockey. And, um, I tell this story Is he from to say, Minnesota. I you can be no, honest. He's, he's not, from Minnesota. He, he, li- he lives in Indiana, but um, oh, okay. I share. I, I so you know there's similar parts, but I, I share this to say, like, I hope that like this podcast does things like what happened in the story with him. He was in. He plays hockey, and he was in the locker room with other white males, and um, it's not uncommon in this locker room for them to historically just you know there's always this whole quote unquote locker room talk that we've heard plenty about in recent years but um which is garbage but yeah anyway but they they were having a conversation and they were talking about recent events and George Floyd and there were some definitely some things that they were sharing that were not okay right and uh, this person that typically kind of just and we've heard it 9000 times right ignorance is permission right they he, he historically has kind of kept his mouth shut and this time he was he looked at these individuals and he was like you do realize that this whole thing why people are um protesting and and doing other things it's not about the character of George Floyd whatever you know all the things that people are saying it's not about that you know it's about what we're talking about tonight right and I told him because he was saying he wasn't telling me the story to like brag on himself. He was just like basically saying like, I wouldn't have done that years ago. And I say that to say what I said to him was 99% out of 100 of those stories. I will never hear as a black person, but I hope that they're happening. Right. And so I would hope that like this conversation sparks people to, have dialogue that I may never see. Um, and at the same time, you know, I don't have a particular charity that I'm, uh, that I give to or things like that. I give to a lot of things that I believe in. Um, probably the most recent one is like my block, my hood, my city here in Chicago. I'm a big proponent and believer in that organization, but it's about the voice, right. Of, of putting it out there to your community that is thinking differently today. And so that's what I hope sparks conversation. And, um, you know, if, if my story, if Rodney's story or other stories can help with that, I hope so. And I hope that maybe the podcast that happened 10 years from now, people are talking about how, how things got better, you know, truly. So, but thanks for letting me be a part. And I'll tell you, this time went by really quick. It doesn't feel late in Chicago. So uh, I think it's really important. So, Thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah, just to echo um, everything that Toby said, you know, it's like, for me, the most important thing out of all this is to make sure that um, that those conversations are being had, that people are listening, and people are talking, and not being afraid to hear things that might not sound great at the time, but to take it as in that it's 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 not it's not a challenge to say that your life that that our lives are are different or worth something differently or any of that. It's just that to highlight this aspect of what is happening, what happens um, to, 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 to black men, black women, black children um, in, in this country, all around the world. Um, um, and I, I can think of no greater compliment than the fact that you guys have actually made the effort to have this conversation, to set this yeah. all up, to do this. That's 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 big. That's important. That's that. That's not just like a conversation that's happening between two people. This is a conversation that will spread throughout everybody who listens to this, and so it reaches more people. And that's the reason why I feel like this is important. That's the reason why I wanted to do it. Um, and I want to thank you guys for for having us on here and, and allowing us to share our stories and um, hearing Toby's story, which I had not heard before, and. Um, yeah, so I, I just wanted to say thank you and, and um, yeah, for, for, for giving us the for letting us have this platform. But yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> trying, yeah. The the kids thing, you know, kids are, and uh, Toby, you kind of alluded to this earlier, is that kids today, right? They they learn through experience. They learn through their environments, right? Uh, and most kids are natural empaths, right? Like they have empathy, you know, boundless amounts of empathy. But, you know, my oldest daughter, she's almost 13. Um, and, you know, she... You can say teen, she has Adam, access she's to, almost a teen. <laughs> she's, she's almost a teen. Um, you know, the sheer access to information, right? We, we kind of talked about this a little bit too, is that there's so much information, right? You can get all the knowledge that you want or you can go down the echo chamber, right? But I think one of the most important things is for the kids to keep that empathy, right? And to ask the questions, right? Everyone now is afraid of being uncomfortable. They don't want to be uncomfortable, so they won't ask the questions. They'll come up with a solution that makes them feel as comfortable as they want to be, right? But as you guys said, now is the time to feel uncomfortable, right? It's the time to have those conversations, right? Get out of your comfort zone. Um, and my daughter, you know, we were talking to a relative, and um, the relative was kind of mentioning, you know, things about the protests and how it had inconvenienced them in a way. Right. And my daughter looked at me, she's like, what, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean about that person? Like you should ask them, right. Have that conversation with them. Right. And she was, she was very concerned about this. And I, I had so much pride as a parent in that moment, right. Like looking at how, you know, just aware my daughter was of something that she's never, you know, never had to think twice about, right. Like we've, We've never had to worry about um, her treating people different. Um, we've been lucky to to grow up in you know like these these diverse communities, and she's never never looked at that. Like kids don't know this, right? They're taught it, and I, I think it was a, a really proud dad moment to hear her, you know, audibly and visibly shaken up by someone's lack of empathy for the situations going on. Um, 
And to that point, like I, I wanted to ask this question a while ago, so I'll, I'll save it for the, the end of the show, right? Um, if there's one piece of advice or one thing that you could tell all parents, like what's, what's the, you know, the one thing you would like them to tell their kids, right? If we're going to try to, you know, do our best to make sure we do the right things and we're going to raise our kids, like you said, we're going to do our best to raise, raise good kids. What's the one thing you would love all, t- all parents to tell their kids? I don't think it also, it doesn't necessarily have to be around race. It's like, no, brush no, your teeth. It's, like, <laughs> yeah, sure. Wipe from front to back. I don't know. Like, <laughs> um, I think like, honestly, if I were to give one piece of advice, uh, I don't, I, it, it sounds really simple, I guess, in nature and it doesn't, there's no like catch all. I don't think, um, for, as we all know, as parents, there's just no like simple thing to like do this and life would be great. But, or, do this and your kids will end up great. There's just something about encouraging and fostering a place where, kind of like what you said, Adam, where um, you give your kids the space to um, develop a value system that um, respects, understands, and appreciates other human beings, even if they are not like the same, you know, I'll give a quick example. There is a viral video that, um, happened. And when you talked about your, your daughter almost being 13 and Phil was right, you did start young. You had to have started young. Um, (laughs) (laughs) like seriously, Um, it's like my sister did too. But anyway, um, there's these, these girls, there's this video that hit, um, that someone shared with me where these girls were, you know, they're in Naperville, Illinois, which we know is very white. Um, and some of y'all might've seen this video where um, they were putting up on their main street, um, black lives matter and, and, and all sorts of appreciation on different storefronts on this main street. And the video, why it became viral was this guy is literally driving down this kind of like, if you think of, um, like Stepford Wives type street, right? He he's literally driving in his car, stops his car, and then you see this woman walking down the sidewalk, and she snatches these post-its out of these. They're all, I think one girl might have been mixed, but everybody, all the girls were white. She literally snatches them out of their hands and starts ripping down the 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 words that people are writing, whether it was Black Lives Matter or you know, we care about George Floyd or whatever it was. And then this guy was screaming at these girls from his car. Right. And I, and I, and you could see this woman kind of came to the rescue of these, these girls. And what sticks with me is you see the sheer horror and, 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 and fear that these girls are having realizing this is their backyard. Right. And they're trying to live a life that values all, you know, people that values in in this case, like black people. And they are literally being told what they're doing is wrong by someone that looks like them. And so I think as a parent, if you can create a space where where your kids can ask questions and understand and not be judged 
I think that becomes a launching pad for other conversations. You know, it makes talking about like sex a whole lot easier or talking about like other things. It's like, well, this is easy. Let's, let's talk about that. You know, um, I think creating that space where some, where your kids feel um, psychologically safe to do that, where I feel like those, those girls are going to go home traumatized. You know, they're going to go home and be like, am I doing it wrong? You know? So as a parent, like be a counter, be a, a counter agent to that, um, and really encourage that type of genuine curiosity about the world. That's, that's what I would say, like in respect uh, of all that. So. For anybody listening who thinks Naperville sounds oddly familiar, uh, in the news, it recently made headlines for having, Potentially the least diverse mural ever. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes, but it's called Naperville Loves a Parade, and it's just an entire crowd of white people gathered downtown Naperville designed to celebrate the history of Naperville mm. with no minorities of any kind. Oh, no, wait. I Actually, there is a Indian chief from, like, a cigar store. That's great. But that's... Uh, that recently made headlines that I'd seen. Uh, so that might be why that's familiar to anybody who's listening. Uh, all right, you can go ahead. Randy. <laughs> um, advice. Um, I'll take good advice. <laughs> um, um, listen to them. Talk to them about the things that you find that, that are important. Don't hide behind. Don't hide behind the history of something, or what it was perceived as. Be brave enough to tell them that, you know, of of the realities of what life has, of of where the where they've come from, where we've come from, and show them that you know it's okay to feel. And it's and it's okay not to know what to do. Mm. And from there, if you approach it that way, you give them the tools to ask questions. You give them the tools to to go out and seek and learn for themselves. You give them the tools to research and find more information and to find the real information. And you give them the empathy to look at a situation and look to look at somebody's situation look at that it may not be it may not be their story but they can now empathize with somebody about their about that person's story hopefully that works that's what i'm Mm -hmm. trying i hope it works we'll check back again in like 20 years (laughs) yeah it goes (laughs) They'll believe in the parade in Naperville. Oof, yeah, They're everybody loves a parade. Taking it over. <laughs> There's also like a Black Hawk helicopter dropping uh, well, like confetti over the parade. It's a weird mural. Wow. I, oh. Did no one else see this? Seriously. <laughs> I've never came heard across of it. my feed like three or four times. Was this uh, the Facebook? Yeah it, was, yeah, it was on Facebook. I don't think you're on Facebook. Are you on Facebook anymore? No, <laughs> no, no Facebook for for Rodney. <laughs> no, no Facebook. 
That's okay. Oh Adam's God, not on Facebook, or at least he says he's not, which is his excuse for not managing the uh, Casual Dad's Facebook page. Hey, go, go search for me. That's fine. Go try to find me on the socials. I'm not there. So, yeah. so you know what's funny, Phil? And looking at these, thanks for sending it to me. So I'm scrolling through the images. So <laughs> when you get to the uh, second image, no, third image of Dave Phil, there is a there is a black dude that is drawn in. He sticks out significantly and he has what appears to be some type of baseball cap. <laughs> and he is, it is very pointed out that he is the black person in the middle of this picture. And it definitely looks like he was added after the fact. So yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's rough. It's it's rough. The thing it's that the reason rough. it came across, and I'm my sure there are was, good people in Naperville too. So yes, yes, there are good people in Naperville as well. Uh, well, I mean, the girls were putting up the signs, right? Exactly. This was sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's rough. In fact, the the main the picture that I'd seen of it was uh, a black guy leaning up against the wall and just sort of standing there and being like, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, anyway, thank you so much for coming on, uh, and talking about, uh, everything. Uh, hope you give a good rest of your evening and here's hoping that things, uh, get better, both race relations wise, overall equity rise and, uh, pandemic wise. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at casualdadcast at gmail.com, or you can simply click the submit follow-up link in the show notes. Please also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. Not only does it give us valuable information, but it helps others discover the show. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at Casual Dadcast.